I do take risks uh, on stage, and sometimes it doesn't always work out. Depending on the show, you know, I might take less or more risks. You know, if, if the crowd's already with us when we start, and it's, you know, I might try to do something really extra special, and if it works out, then it's amazing, you know? And if they're into it, then I'm feeling more confident, and then there's a, a better chance that whatever risky things I might attempt will go well. Hey everybody, Keith Billick here. Greetings and welcome back to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. How's everyone doing out there? I hope you are enjoying the beginning of your spring. Things are coming back to life. Hopefully you are getting a lot of banjo playing and prospective banjo playing or maybe attending shows where banjos will be played. Uh, hopefully all of that is coming back to your life. And I must say, it's coming back to mind, and I'm very happy about that. So let's get into a few announcements here. First of all, I will be attending as as the official podcast liaison to uh, Delfest next month. Delfest is, of course, the the festival that's in Maryland, and it's run by the Del McCurry Band and, and has just a, an unbelievable slate of talented performers, and they are allowing me to set up a podcast booth. So I look forward to bringing you tales and news and interviews from Delfest. And of course, if any of you are going to be there, uh, feel free to reach out to me and maybe uh, we can say hey and put uh, uh, some names with faces. It's it's always cool to meet some listeners. Although I, I was supposed to attend last year's Delfest and I probably made the same announcement and then it got canceled, but I don't learn my lesson about jinxing things like this. So totally, totally uh, stoked for, for Delfest next month. The other really cool recent thing is your boy Keith is in a band. Uh, I have you know, played gigs over the years, but the, these last several years have mostly been just as a hired sideman here and there, nothing, nothing too consistent, but I have a good group together and we decided to give it a go. We're called Wilson Thicket. So anybody who is interested in hearing uh, what I do on the banjo and, and what I'm involved in, please just go search, uh, search out Wilson Thicket either on Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter. Uh, and and we, we don't have much out there, but you might be able to see a video. And I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot more about it from me as, as we get busier and release some new music. Because really, what's the point of having a podcast if I can't just shamelessly promote my own stuff? So that's my news on that. I'm sure you'll hear more about Wilson Thicket, but that's that's what I'm doing. And then last, but certainly not least, another thing I'm excited for is to uh, let you know about my Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. And I've actually made a couple changes. One of the rewards, there are all sorts of benefits to supporting the show. Of course, the main one is you're supporting the show and, and keeping it running. Uh, another one is the monthly VIP lounge. I have changed the reward structure so that anybody at any level of uh, Patreon membership gets invited to the monthly VIP lounge video meetups where uh, we hang out and discuss banjos. Sometimes we play banjos, demonstrate, uh, always give each other tips. A very supportive crowd. It's a lot of fun. And this month's VIP lounge is April 20th. That's a Wednesday, I believe, at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And like I said, if you head over to Patreon and sign up at any level before then, you will get the video invite to, uh, to join up with us. And one of the listeners who you might see in the VIP lounge is this month's featured supporter. That's Ricky Stanfield. Ricky, thank you so much for signing up on Patreon and becoming a supporter of the show. Ricky is actually a Hall of Honor Patreon subscriber, which, as you all know, is the highest civilian honor bestowed onto Picky Fingers listeners. So thanks again, Ricky, and thanks everyone for going to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Also, feel free to get a hold of me for any other reason, just to say hey or to give comments or suggestions about the podcast to meet up with me at Delfest or to tell me that Wilson Thicket is the worst band name idea you've ever heard. You can reach me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com.
never be found. Today's featured guest is Alex Genova of the band Fireside Collective. I find Alex to be a tremendously exciting player, just a relentless, boundary-pushing creativity seems to happen with his playing, and we we address plenty of that. He has attended both uh, Berkeley as well as East Tennessee State University in their bluegrass programs and now actually teaches at East Tennessee State, so he is also academically minded, and this episode is really cool for that reason, too. It is quite a banjo lesson. Alex really breaks down some interesting techniques and approaches to playing. So if you're like me, you're going to have to listen to this one a few times to absorb all the things that he has to say. Two other things of note about this episode before we get going. First of all, I definitely need to give a shout out and thanks to Tom Tiny, Dannon, and everybody else over at Otis Supply, which is a venue in my hometown here in Ferndale, Michigan. They bring a lot of great music to town and they are always supportive and accommodating when I uh, beg them to bring in my uh, recording equipment and and record interviews with some of the talent there. And that's where this one was recorded. So if if you hear restauranting sounds in the background, that explains it. And that's actually the other thing I wanted to mention is there was some weird audio interference on Alex's mic. It sounded like radio broadcast trying to come in or something like that i think it's probably some uh banjo spies trying to infiltrate my interview and steal the the secret information that alex has but you all know that i strive for really good audio quality so it always bugs me when there's some flaws in it that i can't quite seem to figure out how to eliminate completely uh but anyway Please enjoy this interview with Alex Genova of the Fireside Collective. I'm from Madison, Wisconsin originally. I live in Nashville, Tennessee right now. But yeah, I grew up playing music, uh, started really young. And um, in high school, I'd been playing guitar and a bunch of other instruments. And uh, actually, I switched from the marching band to the orchestra because I was into playing music in school, but not so much into uh, the marching part. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I, uh, I did a, I did a many tours of marching band, so I can relate. Yeah, yeah. So I, I switched uh, to try to do the orchestra, but I'd never played violin or any bowed string instruments before. And I uh, took some lessons with a guy in Madison who kind of got me into some old time music and, and different like fiddling styles. And at the same time, I'd been listening to some like jam bands and stuff and got introduced to Old and In The Way and okay. Yonder and uh, Railroad Earth and those kinds of bands. And then um, took some lessons with some local guys. I was really lucky that there were some good uh, banjo pickers around Madison and they like turned me on to Earl and J.D. Crow. So and you were already playing banjo at this point, not not fiddle? So I started with the fiddle first, I believe. It was about the same time. And then uh, I bought a cheap banjo after like hearing some banjo music. The fiddle okay. progress was going really slow. Yeah. And I had already <laughs> been playing guitar since I was like eight years old. So I was like, I, th- I think I could do that banjo thing a little quicker. I think I could pick that up yeah. a little quicker than I could the fiddle. So Well, it's, it seems like it. you did. That, so your initial influences were what? Old and in the way? And is that what, we, what you're... Uh teacher was trying to teach you about? Uh, no, that was more like stuff I'd found on my own from listening mm-hmm. to like the dead and stuff. That fiddle teacher, he uh, showed me Crooked Still for the first time oh, right. and uh, some Bruce Molsky stuff. So that was like some more old time stuff, but it kind of like turned some, you know, you know, some switches in my brain and got me kind of interested at the and I'd been listening to, you know, old in the way just on my own. And then, uh, yeah, then found some banjo teachers and got more into like the crow stuff and the, the, the real, the real uh, traditional bluegrass, I should say. Yeah, exactly. So th- what is this in high school? Mm-hmm. I, yep, s- I assume that's right. Yeah. And at what point did you start finding maybe people to jam with? I assume that was like mm-hmm. probably one of your goals when you start out playing is to yeah. try to find people to actually do this with. Absolutely. So uh, I think uh, I went to like a beginner's jam in Madison. Uh, my mom like drove me uh, out there and uh, it was fun, but uh, I just didn't, I didn't really know a lot of like the standards or anything yet. And 
you know, I'd, I'd played, I had a little trio with a guitar player and a bass player in high school, and we did just like kind of our own bluegrass stuff or, and then some covers. And then I, I, I didn't really like get heavy into jamming until I went to Berkeley in Boston. Ah. And then uh, started doing a little more jamming there, met some people to pick with there. And then I, I was only there a year because it, it just got a little too expensive for me. Uh, so I came back home and then felt like I, I really knew what I wanted to do and uh, found some local jams there. Plus then I was older and I could, could get into a bar easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then started going to like a weekly jam that was in Madison and met met some guys there and we started a couple local bands and recorded an album or two. Uh, so that was like kind of my first introduction to like really playing in a like a more serious bluegrass band. I mean, but you must have already known that you were wanting to take it a bit more seriously if you went to Berkeley for it. You went to Berkeley yeah, for a banjo, I yeah, assume? Yeah, I did, yeah. And who was your teacher there? Uh, I, so I studied with Dave Hollander for a mm-hmm. semester, and then I knew I was going to be leaving, so I took another semester with Daryl Anger, just to, so it wasn't really super banjo-focused, but just okay. he had me doing all kinds of really cool stuff. So I, yeah, he's I really, out there. <laughs> he is, and I, I love that, and I really wanted to work with him, so, so it was fun. Were you highly improvisational minded already because it sounds like if you were into jam bands and yeah. you wanted to study with Daryl that that is yeah. kind of a an avenue that both of those I, lead to I was but I I wasn't very good at it but I was I was mm. trying <laughs> yeah uh, so I didn't really know what I was doing I, you know I'd played guitar so I knew like my pentatonic scales and that kind of thing and I figured out how to you know transfer that over to banjo um, and that, that's actually one of the things I work on with my students now is like making sure everybody knows their pentatonic scales all the way up the neck. And that was like a good place to start. But so, yeah, I I would say I've always kind of been into like improvisational music, but uh, it just took me a little while to get to a a place where I felt like I was good at it. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, I take it by what you said that you think that learning your pentatonic scales up and down the neck mm-hmm. is like a good starting place for yeah. somebody who's interested in that. Do you mm-hmm. care to like talk a bit yeah, more about sure, that or like sure. what, what, what do you teach your students not to, yeah. not to freeload? Off no, of no, your, absolutely. Your I'm happy. I'm happy to share. Yeah. So, uh, we just go through like some positions. So there's like those five, I think of it as just five different positions. Mm-hmm. And these are all closed, single string right, yeah, ways clo- that you do it. Yeah, closed positions. Um, so basically it's kind of like thinking about if, if you wanted to, you could you could call it like the modes almost of a pentatonic scale. So yeah. just like starting on a different note. And then there's kind of some cool tricks you can do with it. You know, you can like do double stops through it. Uh, sorry. Uh, you can make, you know, fuller chords. So, you know, and do scale patterns, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I try to have people do like, uh, we do some like pull off kind of exercises. kind of you know stuff huh. like that I, I, um so yeah i think that's like a good way to start thinking about uh single string is just the pentatonic scales because it's only five notes you got to remember and then five positions um right. and uh, i i like base it out of like some kind of chord shapes basically like this g minor this is like at the fifth fret for anybody playing along this is like your <laughs> your like standard uh g minor bar shape at the fifth and the third fret so if we do let's just take like the first three strings we can do like uh Fifth, fifth fret, first string, third fret on second and third strings. And then we can like shift this position up. And now we're at, I'm going from first string to third string. Now we're at, let's see, eight, six, and five. And then we take that same shape and move it up a whole step. And now we're at 10, eight, and nine. Or sorry, 10, eight, and seven. And then we have this like B uh, major shape. And then we're back to that second shape I mentioned. So it's really like only three kind of chord shapes. So uh. this shape, which is also here and here, and then the B major and the, or B flat major, sorry, and G minor. Is, is the principle, is this almost like uh, similar to? 
playing the diatonic chords except using yeah. just the pentatonic scale. It's the pentatonic yeah, pretty much, chords. Pretty much, yeah. So each it, finger is just raising by one yes, exactly. pentatonic degree. That's okay. right. Yeah. Okay. So you're just you're just going. I wasn't through. quite following how those were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's bas- it's okay. basically like yeah. If you if you're starting on each fret, then you're going through the scale on each string. So yeah, each yeah. string is moving up one scale scale tone each time. So we'd work on stuff like that. That's kind of a good way to visualize it too. But yeah, that's just one one of the things I work on with it's students. It's almost a real like organ voicing yeah, type, of, I, type of sound too. I, I love it. it. It's a lot of fun to jam with. That kind of you know you can get and some. And that cool... would all work over like a G minor. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Vamp or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Or like a like a B flat kind of bluesy kind of thing would sure. work as well. Yeah. So yeah, you can use it in a few different situations. Excellent. Are you able to point to anything that you? I don't know if I realized that you went to Berkeley. I mean, mm-hmm. you said you were only there a year. Are you able yeah. to point to anything else that you learned from your time there that was maybe particularly? valuable that you still use man it was just i i had only been playing banjo like since high school like i said only really been playing a couple years Uh and i wasn't i i I learned that i needed to practice more that i was like in over my head and uh i should go home and and uh practice (laughs) and uh yeah and so that's what i did then um but yeah i mean i I just got exposed to different kinds of music um Mm -hmm. with daryl i worked on some really like some brazilian music that i'd not been into and that was that was kind of fun some like choro uh, oh, if I, I, can't, I probably can't remember it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to forget that, too. Okay. No worries. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we just worked on, like, you know, all sorts of different stuff that wasn't really banjo music. So that mm-hmm. that, that was one cool thing that kind of got me starting to think about other styles and genres. I, I, I at the time, was kind of just thinking about banjo as a, a bluegrass thing, mostly. Right. And, and, or, like, you know, the crazy stuff that, that Bela did. But it started to really get me, like, seriously thinking about you know all the possibilities and just and an instrument you that you can apply to exactly whatever you uh, come across exactly that's cool yeah so you said you also went back to discover more traditional guys i think you mentioned mm-hmm. jd yeah who, who are those do you consider your main influences at least in the early days and what do you think you learned from yeah from each of them yeah so um like jd in particular and earl of course too like man i just i, I think that's just like the, a really good place to start just to get like your tone right and your timing right and to just get like just just work on your your right hand and and the timing to me is and the tone and uh, but timing in particular and groove is like so important and, and that's one of the things that he just really had down so I spend a lot of time just like playing with bluegrass album band recordings and I, I work on that kind of stuff with my students now too. Is that the primary way that you've worked on your own timing is at, pl- playing along with, with those recordings? At first yeah like I mean now I'm doing other things I'm, I'm trying to like play bebop and other you know stuff. Right. And, but, yeah I'll uh, definitely cover that with okay, you too. Cool yes that and then also like um I played with a band out of Seattle for a while, and uh, I used to sleep in the Sprinter van that we had. It was a uh, it was a wild time for me. But um, but yeah, I'd turn. We had Sirius XM in the van, and I'd turn on like Bluegrass Junction and just try to play along with like the kind of modern driving bluegrass, you know, mm-hmm. kind of downbeat, heavy kind of stuff. And yeah. and I spent a lot of time trying to get good at that, so I could really have like super tight timing, like like that that sound mm-hmm. but i also love you know like the the bounce and the the groove of like the older kind of stuff like jd's you know that that Very feel cool. too so i just was trying to kind of get down the different grooves that that the banjo is responsible for in, in a bluegrass band basically and, and try to play all that first and then kind of branched out after that mm-hmm. and did you end up at etsu at some point i did yeah so I, I like i mentioned i played with a band out of seattle for a couple of years and then things kind of fell apart and people were wanting to go in different directions so uh, i wanted to finish school and i ended up at etsu yeah. and loved it and had a great time there and got to kind of refine my bluegrass skills there mm-hmm. um and also work on some more progressive stuff so it, it was, it was a, a an awesome place for me i, I had and a wonderful I guess time I'll, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off there. No, go for it. All the same things that I was wondering about 
Berkeley, I'd be mm-hmm. equally curious to hear about yeah. ETSU in terms of like who your teachers were, how yeah. they how they helped you, and what you learned that you Absolutely. are maybe still using or, yeah. or are important to what you do. Absolutely. So my my banjo teacher was a guy named Brandon Green, um, and he's like a great progressive player and does a, a bunch of really cool. Um, uh, yeah, like progressive stuff, uh, melodic stuff, single string stuff. He had me working on like Scott Vestal stuff. So we learned a lot of Scott okay. Vestal breaks and, um, like a lot of the Bluegrass 95 stuff I learned okay. and we worked on together. Yeah. So that was really cool. Love, love Scott's playing. And it was kind of, it was kind of like that kind of deal, just like working on transcribing solos and, and learning okay. breaks. And he had some tab for some of it too. Um, and just kind of like going over it together and like, Oh, what do you think he's playing there? I don't know. <laughs> what do you, or what did you have? Oh, show me how you did that kind of thing. So that that was really good. But then I also got to work with a guy named Mike Baguetta, who is a jazz guitar player, and and he was kind of in the the jazz department. And I I learned a lot from Mike about about theory, and he he's like been a huge influence on me, and and really uh, like kind of changed the way I, I see music. And so so yeah, let's let's talk about that. I would love yeah. to I would love to hear about those things if you think it had yeah. such a, a big effect. If you're able absolutely. if you're able to remember some of the things, yeah, and, absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, it was kind of just like the the basics of jazz theory stuff, like uh, using diminished scales, for example. You know, like uh, the the half whole and whole half diminished scale. <laughs> And I use that kind of stuff in my soloing. But then, you know, just talking about like all the, with the diminished scale, there's a lot of cool things you can do with it. I mean, you could, you could use it to solo over a diminished chord if one comes up in a tune you're playing. But you can also, you know, you could play it over if you're into kind of more progressive bluegrass and, and the band's doing like, a, say, just like a G7 mixolydian kind of jam. So I'm kind of just using that, those different uh, positions uh, okay. uh, to land somewhere around G, and then kind of, <laughs> and then kind of resolve there back eventually. That kind of that kind of thing. So is the rule of thumb to use a diminished scale that starts or not starts on a G, but contains a G if it's over that G yeah, seventh? I know there's only like four diminished scales. Right, yeah. So I, I kind of think about it, yeah, like if, if we were to play in G7, say, the way I think about it is like I would start, I mean, there's a few a few places you could start, but usually I think about starting on G or B flat or D flat or E. And that's kind of, it's going, just going it's up. Your arpeggio. A, yeah, yeah, a minor third. Yeah, your arpeggio, exactly. Um, and you could, I mean, you could also start a half step up from all of those two. And then start with a whole step instead of a half step. So you, you could do that as well. But uh, one of the things that he showed me that was also really cool is like all the arpeggios that you can get out of that one uh, G half whole diminished scale. You know, so you can you have you know G major triad, B flat major triad, D flat, E flat, and then also all of those same chords but minor triads, and then also all of those chords like diminished with the flat nine. So, you know, you can do uh-huh. some cool, like, kind of chordal stuff, too. That, you know, that kind of stuff. Triad pairs using, like, okay. two triads to solo together. So he really uh-huh. gave me a lot of ideas. Just, and that's just talking about the diminished scale. I could I could keep going on. But we really talked about, like, a ton of theory stuff that I, that I tr- really dove into and tried to figure out how to make it work on the banjo. Do you feel like that required, I mean, you... you said try to make it work on the banjo, but mm-hmm. how much did you actually have to dive into jazz repertoire to, yeah. to internalize some of that? So luckily, I play with a band that's uh, kind of jammy, uh-huh. <laughs> very jammy, actually. At the, you know, some, <laughs> we kind of go back and forth a little bit. But, uh, but you know, we, we'll do a lot of kind of open jams. So luckily, it, it kind of let me try out some of these ideas in a like more low-stakes environment where I didn't have to go to a jazz jam and try it over a bebop tune right. you know, with, with uh, you know, a, a straight jazz instrumentation. I could, where they're already skeptical of why is this banjo exactly, on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so so actually it wasn't it wasn't that that bad and I think 
the j- getting the jazz repertoire part is is the part that's I'm I'm still working on that and that's kind of coming later for me. But some of these ideas I kind of that come from like jazz and jazz adjacent music and, and some classical ideas obviously too. But uh, those things uh, I was lucky to be able to like try it out with this this band Fireside Collective that I'm playing with and and. Uh, and so yeah. that, that's kind of my, been my thing that I've been working on, throwing those kinds of ideas into like jamgrass stuff. If there are progressive-minded bluegrass players out there that want to incorporate just some jazzy sounds mm-hmm. in, into their playing, whatever that yeah. means, what you just showed us is that what you would recommend they start yeah. with as as like a good. That's one thing they could start with. Another thing they could think about that that's kind of an easy one to start with is like upper structures of chords. Hmm. Um, like thinking about so if we say we're doing G seven, so we can do like a G seven arpeggio. So that's like G B D F. But and that and that would be like one three five seven. But then we can also do three five seven nine. So just for those of you listening, I'm I'm starting at like your standard fifth fret. G position, uh, 5th fret on 4th string, 4th fret, 3rd string, and then barring 3rd fret, 1st and 2nd string, and then I shift up to um, 9th fret, and I'm doing like uh, basically what's a, like a B half diminished chord, but it's, uh, it's just a 3, 5, 7, and then 9 of a G7 chord, so now we have B, D, F, and A, yeah. and then I'm shifting up to 12th fret on my 4th string. And then that's like a D minor seven chord, but it's also five, seven, nine, eleven. Yeah. And then we can shift up and we can do an F major seven chord, and it's seven, nine, eleven, thirteen. So if you're in a G seven jam, you can use all those chords. Um, and so that's a cool, a cool, you know, some cool sounds to mess with that. That's not so bad. And, and you can do the same thing for major seven chords, too. Make sure you add the sharp 11 for major seven chords. That's kind of a, a rule that um, otherwise it, it clashes with another note in the chord. But, okay. um, but yeah, so upper structures is, is a really cool cool idea to, to mess with. And then there's you know other things you can do with them from there. You know, if, for progressive-minded folks, too, I think just learning your modes of the major scale is a really good place to start, too. And that's something okay. that I do with my students as well. Just I usually go, start with, like, a chord shape. So, like, you know, G, a G triad or a G major 7. And then shift up A minor 7. And just go through the, the chords. Yeah. Sorry. Uh. So yeah, I noticed you're doing all of this in with a with a single string technique. Yeah. Uh, talk about that and why you find that maybe more useful than sure trying to incorporate melodics or or maybe even how did you work on getting so good at that technique yeah. because that that is something that's really tough for a lot of people. Yeah, so I, I, I try to play, I, I like melodic style a lot too, um, and melodic style for me like works really well with something like a fiddle tune where you can use open strings, but thinking about a more like jazz-minded stuff, there's, well, I, I, yeah, if we're talking about like jazz tunes, for example, there's a lot of modulations, so we're not staying in the same key. We're we're moving around a lot. So having closed positions that you can move between is really important to be able to improvise that way. So I also have worked on the modes in like a a more melodic way. There, I don't know if you've ever seen the gnome cell things he yeah. does, the four note cells. Yeah. yeah, and then he expands that to like the larger groups and right. goes all the way through the modes that way. So that's really cool too. And I've, I've worked on that as well. And I do that with students sometimes too. But but I, I, I kind of prefer the single string for at least, I guess, yeah, just in general, I think I kind of prefer the single string style. I, I like the way it sounds and I like the way it's easy to kind of move around under my fingers. And then, yeah, like I said, for the jazz stuff, when you're, you know, modulating between keys, like... You know, if you're on a tune like Cherokee, it's just going down in whole steps. Uh, uh, that, 
you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so helps you keep track of everything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know how I would start approaching that in melodic. Although I know like you've had Pat Cloud, Pat Cloud on yeah. and he does that and Bill Keith was doing stuff like that. So it can it can be done, but yeah. I haven't really messed with it that much. It takes a lot of concentration, I imagine. I haven't figured it out either. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Hey folks, there has never been a better time to learn banjo online through video lessons. And the best game in town is Peghead Nation, one of our sponsors. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, you'll be able to learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of banjo instruction with some of these courses. Check it out. Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward Style Banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, no matter what course you select, they're all going to come with high-quality, multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation, plenty of tab, play-along tracks, and tunes and songs for you to learn. Perhaps best of all, if you join any of these Peghead Nation video courses now, you'll get your first month free just for being a Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast listener. So just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. Another sponsor of the show is GHS Strings. We banjo players know that a banjo is only as good as the quality of strings that you put on it, and GHS has a long track record of providing the top quality in banjo strings to some of the top industry professionals such as Bela Fleck, J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, Todd Taylor, and me. I'm a GHS user, so check them out at ghsstrings.com. Now, if you ask me where I go to purchase my GHS strings, that answer is simple. It's the same place that I go for all of my banjo, guitar, and any other stringed instrument needs. It's Elderly Instruments here in Lansing, Michigan. They've been family-owned since 1972, and it's the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage instruments and all the accessories and strings that you might need. Now, if you aren't close enough to Lansing, Michigan to visit them in person, you can also see their entire inventory online at elderly.com or feel free to give them a call to speak to a knowledgeable salesperson at 517-372-7880 or once again, see what they have at elderly.com. So I I think I uh, previewed one of the questions that I got in from Facebook that was about ETSU. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that you've actually taken on uh, a teaching role there. Mm -hmm. The question was basically talking about your time. And I I think the person who asked the question wanted to know how welcoming it was Mm -hmm. to A, like a northerner. Yeah. uh, B, a northerner who likes to play crazy jazzy stuff. Yeah. And just the the general um, vibe of it there. I think they wanted to know. and, And of course, now that you're on faculty or whatever, you can you can speak a bit more. I, I assume it's more welcoming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to you if, if if that's your job. So I don't yeah. know. Just just tell us what you yeah, have to say. Give yeah. us the spiel. About, yeah, about they've the been they've been really great. I like seriously have nothing but good things to say about ETSU. Uh, I, I absolutely love it there. It was an honor to be asked to t- to teach there, and um, I, I feel really lucky that I, I get to do that. But when I was a student there, I you know I was I was also a little unsure about that because it was kind of more of a, like a traditional scene. At least that's the reputation it has. Yeah. Um, as being kind of more like a lot of a lot of the students who go there end up graduating and playing in you know like uh, kind of like the modern kind of traditional stuff, the stuff you hear on Sirius XM, yeah. those kinds of artists, right. you know. But that said, there um, there are a ton of great progressive players there as well. I I was there at the same time as like Thomas Castle and his brother Will and yeah. uh, Trey Wellington. Okay, yeah, he's great. That. Yeah, there's a, a kid who's taking lessons with me right now named Justin Alexander, who is an awesome banjo player. He's great. So watch cool. watch out for that dude. He's yeah. I t- uh, Jacob Metz was taking lessons with me, and he's uh, playing with Darren and Brooke at Aldridge now. He's mm. killer. Uh, they're they're doing some kind of progressive stuff, and they've had like Matt Menifee was playing banjo yeah. with, with them for a while, and have some really cool banjo parts on some of their 
recordings. Yeah, I mean, right now, Brittany Haas is leading the progressive band. So it, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't get much. Doesn't get better than no, that. Right? No, no, yeah. absolutely. That's so cool. uh, yeah, I've been like jealous. <laughs> it's like been wishing I was a student that could play right. in the progressive band. With should have stuck with the fiddle. I know, right? <laughs> I should go back. <laughs> but well, yeah, uh, it, it's been great. And and now you could take a progressive banjo lessons with, with me. So yeah. uh, I'll be very welcoming. And uh, uh, yeah, everybody's cool. super nice. It's a great place. I That's recommend Awesome. It highly. And I think another part of the question now that I think about it was what are the like networking aspects that mm-hmm. you were able to take advantage of as well? Or, mm-hmm. or do you think that that was an important yeah, aspect? Of I it? do. I mean, I, I got the job. I, uh, have, I got both jobs that I have right now teaching mm-hmm. there and uh, playing with Fireside Collective because I, I lived in the area and it's really close to Asheville, which is a huge progressive music hub, bluegrass uh, included. And there's traditional stuff obviously around too. But just like a ton of bluegrass musicians in the area, um, it's not that far from Nashville. It, it, it kind of depends like who who's there at the same time as you. But, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's a great place to meet people and jam. And there's always parties and events happening that you can get out and, and jam at. So, uh, you know, and just to go back to like the, the part about like welcome being welcome and like what you could get out of it if you're looking for more of a progressive experience is what I did was take lessons with some jazz faculty. And and that really yeah, the fellow was, who you already yeah, were mentioning. Yeah. yeah. So. You know, if you're interested in other styles of music as well, you know, they have a like a classical music department and a jazz department that are both uh, really great. So you could And you you're could, allowed to you are absolutely uh, take allowed. classes outside of your yes, focus area absolutely. or major or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I t- was taking cool. ba- I was bringing my banjo to a jazz guitar lesson yeah. weekly and it was awesome. So oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Well that's a good segue. You said that was somehow responsible for you getting into your current band, Fireside Collective. Tell us yeah. how that happened and tell us about that band and what your approach is like yeah, uh, playing absolutely. with them. Absolutely. So I had actually met them before I moved down there uh, briefly. I mentioned I was playing with that band from Seattle called the Blackberry Bushes, but uh, we'd, we'd met in Colorado. We liked, I think we played a show together actually in Fort Collins, I believe. And then when I went down to ETSU, I met Joe, their guitar player, and we had classes together and played in some school bands and stuff together. Oh, he was going to school? Yeah, also? Okay. he was also okay. at ETSU. Yeah. And then the other three guys were living in Asheville. And I'd been kind of looking for a band and I'd auditioned for a few other bands, but nothing had really uh, worked out the way I wanted it to. But uh, yeah, Joe called me one summer, like shortly after school had ended, and I'd gone back to stay with my parents in Wisconsin and visit for a little while. Mm -hmm. And he asked if I could come down and play some shows and do an audition, and I did. And yeah, I've been in the band ever since. Yeah, it worked out. That's cool. Uh, So uh, just for listeners who maybe aren't familiar, tell tell us about that band and how you see your role and, yeah. and what you guys are all about. Yeah, so we're kind of, things are kind of changing as we go, um, but it's a really fun band to play in. It's, it's a, We're pretty progressive, I, I would say. Um, others might not say that. I don't know. <laughs> it depends what, what you feel is traditional and what you feel isn't. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, our mandolin player, Jesse, writes a lot of the songs, but yeah. we, we also kind of share those duties. And um, so more people are starting to write more material. I've written a couple instrumentals that we do, or one we've recorded. Yeah, so my role is just kind of banjo banjo man uh, mm-hmm. and playing you know, I do. I take a lot of the jammy parts, um, and I've helped arrange a lot, a lot of the instrumental stuff that we do. How you're describing the group that you you don't necessarily feel like you need to be locked into a uh, 
bluegrass album band sounding no. approach. You you can kind of mm -hmm. do whatever you feel is necessary. I take it. Or, yeah, or yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I feel lucky. They they've kind of given me free reign to play how I want, <laughs> which yeah. is awesome. Um, and I know that not everybody gets to do that. So that's, it's really cool for me. And yeah, it's fun. We, you know, they bring a lot of interesting material and sometimes honestly, it's like, Oh man, I don't know how I'm going to fit a banjo roll over this groove, you know, or should I chop? Should I roll huh. over it? And, uh, I usually find something to do. So it's, are there it's any, uh, Examples of that you can think of, maybe something that, and I, I know it's hard to, yeah. to demonstrate what the whole band is doing um, right here, but like yeah. may, maybe talk about something that was challenging to find a place for yourself and how you how you worked through that. Sure. Um, well, like one we do is like uh, an Elton John song, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Sure. Um, and we started, it goes into a bluegrass groove, but it starts kind of slow. And so I, I wasn't really sure if I should roll. I was kind of just in a... Uh, That kind of, you know, that kind of feel. Okay. Um, so that, you know, one example of what, like, not a typical bluegrass thing. And sure. there's some other songs kind of similar to that uh, kind of vibe where I'm kind of doing more of like a chunky kind of sound. Um, you know, that, that kind of A little of more thing. minimalist. Yeah. Maybe than, yeah, than yeah. what we're... Our, our, our normal reflexes to just fire up the rolls right, and, and yeah. go for it. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was a little difficult for me at first to kind of figure out what to do in those situations, but, you know, but in other situations, I get to kind of do the opposite extreme, so uh, sure. it's kind of a balance. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You mentioned that you wrote at least one instrumental that you have recorded. Yeah. Is writing a big part of what you do, you think? And For me, yeah. Not so much with this band, but um, I, I'm working on getting some material together to do a solo album eventually. Oh, how so cool. You heard it here for, first, folks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't have a timeline or anything or even a band picked out yet, but I'm uh, starting to like, I've been writing a, a lot of instrumentals, so I, I have like quite a, a stash at home. And, Very uh, cool. Over the pandemic got set Are you up. able to give us a preview? Uh, sorry, I keep, oh, I keep okay. cutting you off. That's I'm okay. excited to hear no, what... No, no, you're <laughs> Oh, you're fine. Like. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, one. Uh, this is one I wrote for my wife. That's kind of a slower, prettier one, but I'll, I'll share a little bit of it. Sure. stop there okay <laughs> no that's great yeah thanks what do you have a any sort of technique or approach to to writing not really i kind of try to do uh different songs differently sometimes i kind of start with like some chords uh like uh, uh let's see oh man i'm trying to th i'm like drawing blanks on all my all my tunes or even the one that you already recorded you know yeah. just in general yeah so no i kind of i kind of do them all uh differently like yeah sometimes i come up with some chords that i like and i try to put a melody to it um the one i recorded with the band's called night sky from here um we've been like recently working that back into the set but it's kind of like an ostinato based thing so it, i basically like wrote a part for everybody there's kind of like a breakdown section you can check this out on spotify by yeah. the way if you're, if you're listening out there um yeah it's called night sky from here and uh yeah so like it just starts with a banjo roll uh it's with it's in d and uh mandolin comes in with a melody right there and then the dobro comes in it's kind of like little pieces all together and then it goes into Oh, 
one is like the bluegrass section. Okay. But then there's a breakdown in the middle where I go back to just kind of a roll. And uh, guitar comes in first with like a, a little melody ostinato, and then dobro comes in, and then their ostinato's double in length, and it like kind of keeps going and keeps that adding in huh. more parts. Mandolin chop comes in, and then the banjo melody comes in, and then uh, eventually it goes into like a five over four kind of thing where the mandolin and I are doing a five four thing, and the rest of the band is continuing on the original ostinato, and kind of gets a little crazy, and right. then lands back in the bluegrass groove. So. orchestrated for a banjo tune that's, yeah, that's not like uh, <laughs> ground speed or something no like that. <laughs> no that's like kind of the way I like to, to write I do have some more simple tunes too sure. I guess but um, that's cool so it, it can kind of start either way either with a melody or chord progression or just whatever yeah. you find yeah. catches your ear pretty much like. yeah I don't cool. really have a method <laughs> <laughs> so going back to jazz stuff a lot of what I see you post on the uh, on the socials is like transcribing mm -hmm horn solos or guitar solos mm -hmm. or, or whatever it is. Tell us about doing that. What, yeah. what is what is your approach to that? So um, that's because that's that's some really impressive stuff. Well thank you. Yeah, so it, it's just a really good uh it's a really good way to to learn new like vocabulary, new phrases and, and things. Um, one of the things that I'm sure every banjo player, every musician gets in the habit of doing is like, you know, we all have our licks and, and tricks and things that we do. And, it, it, you know, at times that can get kind of stale for everybody, you know, yeah. myself included. I, I, on this tour, I've been feeling that way. Like, <laughs> damn, I'm playing the same thing Play every night. I'm playing the same licks every night. Uh, so, you know, then I might transcribe a, a solo and try to incorporate that kind of stuff into my playing. Uh, but yeah, my process for that is just to slow it, slow it down and, and kind of take my time moving through it. And, uh, and then, yeah, and then maybe tr take like a little section I might like from like a, a Charlie Parker solo or something. something like that, you know, and try to see how I, I might work little pieces of that in, into a, into a, a solo and maybe a bluegrass okay. tune or something like that. Um, you know, or, and then obviously bebop stuff too, but this is what I'm, I'm playing bluegrass, you know, with people more than right. I'm playing the jazz stuff for me is kind of like at home with a backing track. <laughs> okay. So that, th I think that's an important connection because a mm -hmm. lot of time, if I, if I take the time to do something like that and it does take me a lot of time, yeah. a lot of it can be... I can feel like I'm wasting time because mm -hmm. I don't always bridge that into being able to use it right. in my playing. It's sort of just like a a fun little test for myself to right. see if I can do it a challenge. Absolutely. Uh, but but you're saying you you actually try to use what you're I do. learning. Yeah. What a concept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I, I and I would like to get out and play more more jazz with with uh, legit, you know, jazz musicians or even just like bluegrass pickers who are also interested in jazz that, you know, that'd be fabulous too. I just have been really busy and, uh, then the pandemic happened and yeah, I need to just to get up the courage, I guess, to just bring the banjo to a, a, a jazz jam in Nashville sometime. I should, I should do that, yeah, but, um, just give it a try. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I try to, so I try to take like little phrases and, and put it into like a bluegrass jam or something. And it's not that difficult in the band I'm playing in because, like I said, we we kind of stretch out and do you know the more progressive thing and okay. do some longer jams and stuff. So I I have the opportunity to throw in you know a Charlie Parker phrase or a Bill Evans phrase or something that I, I learned. Excellent. 
let me think. Let's talk about your your instruments and your gear. Tell yeah. us about what you have here and go go through all the yeah all the little parts. Sure. You, you know how banjo players get. They yeah. Need to, they need to know everything. Yeah. So I'm uh, my banjo is pretty pretty standard. I'm playing a Huber VRB3. Uh, I got it at IBMA like uh, like six years ago. Uh-huh. Played it in the showroom and fell in love with it. Yeah. Uh, so I brought this one home. I've got a few other banjos at home. But I'll talk about this one first. Um, so yeah, it's it's just like standard what it came with besides the uh, Scorpion Bridge on there from mm-hmm. Silvio Ferretti. He was yeah. really generous and s- sent me a few in the mail and uh, the f- one I'm playing is my favorite of, of the group so that's what I've been playing on this tour. Then it's set up with a Fishman banjo pickup, the Rare Earth one I believe um, and I play it, usually I play it through a Tone Dexter um, mm-hmm. with a couple effects pedals for when we really get weird up there <laughs> um, <laughs> which is fun. Um but yeah, that that's that's pretty much it. Just I love pedals. What yeah. what pedals are you using? Yeah, uh it's a oh gosh One's like the Synth 9. I can't even remember the brand names. That's but Electro it, Harmonics yes, one. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, that, that's right. Um, and it's like a Synth modeler. So it's kind of, okay. it's kind of, that one's kind of more out there, but I use it occasionally. And then the other one is, oh gosh, it's like Earthquake or something or, uh, oh man, it's a delay pedal. Okay. I can't remember the name of it, but it's got like, um, like different timings you can do like you can do eighth notes uh like in the repeats and, then and tap stuff. it in yeah you can uh, there's a tap feature as well okay. but you can also just uh like set it to like do like dotted eighths or triplets yeah. or eighths that kind of thing so that's, that's really cool. cool yeah so i've been messing with like doing different rolls and stuff with the delay and it gets really fun really fast yeah. Yeah. um and then there's other things you can do with it like uh anal- you can like set it to like an analog sound or a digital sound or like different kinds of forget algorithms is the term they use i believe Okay. Uh, yeah. And those both yeah. work decently well with mm-hmm. with banjo. It's, they it's do. sometimes tricky to find it's, effects that'll yeah. play nice. It is. It is. I've never really been a big effects guy. I, I had used them with electric guitar, but I've just right. kind of been getting into them, and it, I'm I feel like I'm late to the party because it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I I had tried like some auto waz and stuff, and they weren't really working as well. I don't know if it's just the maybe the, the high end of the banjo just doesn't go through them as well but it, yeah it was kind of not sounding great same so. with me I've, I've heard a few people use them that sound really good uh-huh. and i should probably pick their brain if i yeah if i care enough to get into it well let but, me know uh, if you find a good one okay yeah i mean i know kyle tuttle whatever he's using mm-hmm. he, he makes it sound really good i don't yeah. know if it's a, a settings thing or if it's yeah. a, an equipment thing or a pickup thing yeah yeah there's that guy uh Matthew Zuckerman, I believe, out of like Baltimore, who makes pedals. I think he's made a few of Kyle's. I okay. tried out a couple of his one time and uh, right. was was digging them, but um, just I I just didn't get them at the time because we kind of weren't the, this band wasn't really doing that yet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a new thing. We've kind of recently post pandemic like become more a little weirder, a little weirder. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Cool. <laughs> What about everything else, like your your picks and your yeah. strings and you know yes. anything else that you think is important that yeah. you have a pre- preference for? Yeah, so I, I use D'Addario uh, strings. The, the we endorse them, love love their strings. I usually use like the Light Plus, a little heavier, um, uh, and I, I like that for like the single string stuff. I've been thinking about maybe even going a little heavier lately, but so what would the Light Plus be? Is that, uh, that tens like, or something? Yeah, or? it's like ten and a half, I think, oh, okay. uh, like ten and a half, and then uh, like a thirteen. G string um so i think they're they're like um i think like bela's got that ghs set and i think it's like pretty much the same gauges that he has on his like signature ghs set except for the d strings a little lighter the low d strings a little lighter it's like a 20 instead of his is like 22 okay but yeah they're a little heavier than the lights i forget exactly the exact gauges but um but but i like those a lot so i've been using those um and then my picks are i'm just using like a dunlop xl finger pick and uh Warren Yates's Oval Eights copies, and they're awesome. I highly recommend them. They're super comfortable. They sound really good. Um, they feel really good. They're they're like my favorite picks I've ever used. I, yeah, and I, cool. I never really got super into the old Nationals just because they're pricey, and I never could really find them. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, I'm sure those are amazing. But for, as far as like new picks, and I, I've played you know a lot of them, the the Sheelers and the Hoffmeyers and all, all the stuff. These are these are my favorites. Those are the ones you like. Although the, the cool. Sheelers and the Hoffmeyers are great too. But but yeah, these are my faves. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you use the Fishman pickup. Do you use any particular microphones ever for? gigs or recording that you really um, dig? Um 
not really. Like at at home, I have uh, a few mics. Like I just have a I have like an SM eighty one and a SM uh, a KSM thirty two, a couple sure mics, uh, and then like you know, if I was playing with a bluegrass band, I honestly might I maybe would use the SM eighty one or maybe just a fifty seven. Yeah. I just like the sound of a banjo through a, oh, totally. a fifty seven. You know, it's kind of that classic that yeah. classic bluegrass sound. So yeah, now I'm not uh I'm, I've never been like a super gear oriented guy, but now that I've kind of gotten more into doing this uh you know professionally and playing with the band and trying to record myself at home i've kind of been forced to <laughs> to, l- pay to, more to pay more attention and, and learn more about it so you know i'll i'll That's keep cool. you updated <laughs> yeah i mean i i just ask it to everyone i, yeah. I find it infinitely interesting for yeah. some reason I don't no know. i love it, it. Cool. i love it did i forget to ask you anything about like your your playing style or is there anything else that you'd want to add that I don't know, just some something you're working on that's interesting, or, or um, other advice of how to play like Alex Genova. <laughs> that's uh, what this is all about, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this this uh, jazz legend uh, uh, Barry Harris just passed away uh, recently. Piano um, guy, right? Piano guy, yeah. Uh-huh. And one of the things I I uh, I've been working on for a while is like his rule of uh, descending lines, where he adds extra half steps in between uh, notes in like the mixolydian mode, basically. So, so if you want to sound like me, I've been using those a lot, maybe too much, but it's a really cool concept to check out. So you can, it's kind of this rule about. Um, adding in um so basically like it's all for descending lines if you start on like the one three five or seven you can add an extra half step between one and flat seven uh sorry that kind of thing if you start on two four six you can add an extra half step between uh two and one and one and flat seven or no half steps so or just or or between two and one and one in flat seven. And then if you land on three, five, or three, five, or seven, you can do back to rule one, which is the one half step. <laughs> or you can add three between three, three and two, two and one, and one in flat seven. So then oh it's. Oh my. I'm going to have to. So I use definitely that. Definitely going to have to listen back to this one to, to follow all that. It's cool. But, but you can. You can there's some videos on YouTube too, because. There's a ton of videos of him and other people talking about it too, but then you can, you know, come up with cool lines like, and add the upper structure arpeggios in there too. So like, you know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it give, it's a, so it gives you like a real cool chromatic sound if you're into like the chromatic kind of heck yeah kind of stuff. That yeah. Sounds cool. So it's a, a cool idea that I uh, just something I thought of to. And that's YouTubeable to, to absolutely. find out Barry, all these yeah, ro- yeah. rules you call them? Yeah. Barry Harris's like rules of descending lines, I believe, or just, yeah, just Google Crazy. Barry Harris descending rules and you should, <laughs> you should or YouTube it. Yeah. And then something should come up. One of my favorite uh, descriptions of your playing, I just had a listener uh, who had seen you at some point mm-hmm. say that you play fearlessly. I thought that was like just a really cool yeah. uh, way of describing it. I and I that. assume that th- what they mean is that you are taking musical risks. Mm-hmm. So how how would you describe your own risk-taking? I assume they, uh, that's like in an um, improvisational context yeah. is where that would yeah. would happen. I don't know. Do you have, do you have like an f- overarching philosophy of, of how you do that? Yeah, I mean, I do take risks uh, on stage and sometimes it doesn't always work out, you know, and that... That's, <laughs> that's got, where the fearlessness that, comes that's in. That's right. It's got to be, it's got to be okay, uh, you know, and, and depending on the show, you know, I might take less or more risks, you know, if the, yeah. if the crowd's already with us when we start and it's, you know, I might try to do something really extra special and if, and if it works out, then it's amazing, you know, and, yeah. but, you know, if it's like a quiet listening room and, uh, you know, the, the crowd's looking a little, uh, you know, not tighter. Not, yeah, a little tighter. Not sure if they're with us or not yet. <laughs> then I might, you know, take a few less risks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, at, at a festival where everybody's having a good time and dancing and loving it and they, you know, eating up whatever you do, then yeah, I try to like, you know, give them something cool and, and throw in some. Yeah. If they're in the mood to some, appreciate yeah, the, the risks. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. And, and usually if I'm, 
if I'm if they're if they're into it, then I'm feeling more confident, and then there's a, a better chance that whatever risky things I might attempt will go well. Yeah. Whereas if I'm not feeling as confident, then nice uh, positive feedback. Yeah, loop exactly. Kind of, kind of thing. Exactly. Well, that's great. Hey, uh, so before I let you go, and I think we're timing this perfectly to escape uh, sound weird sound check yeah. uh, sounds. I think you're right. Make sure everyone knows how to find you and the band online. Give it yeah. websites and all the all the plugs. Yeah, so I, I don't have a, a website. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and I've got a couple of videos on YouTube. But the band is at uh, firesidecollectiveband.com, um, and we're easily findable on Facebook as well and Instagram and uh, YouTube, Fireside Collective is the name of the band. Um, so yeah, give us a like or a follow. We're on Spotify and Apple Music. Please check check our tunes out. Uh, give us a stream right after you stream uh, Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> on repeat yes, all night long that's right. for days and days. That's right. <laughs> need, need my cup of coffee per year uh, yes. fees that Spotify <laughs> gets me. Us too. If that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Man, thank for you so much. Taking the time and looking forward to hearing the show this evening. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. The song clips you heard in this episode were Blue Is My Condition by Fireside Collective, Captain Captain by Crooked Still, Nashville Blues by J.D. Crow and the New South, and then a couple more Fireside Collective tracks, Waiting for Tennessee and Night Sky from Here. Extra special thanks to Ricky Stanfield, today's Patreon supporter of the show. Thanks to Otis Supply for hosting the recording of this interview. And I encourage all of you to head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast uh, to become a supporter yourself or get a hold of me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com with any questions or concerns or, you know, see you next time.